Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome into a special episode of Take Command. Craig Hoffman here for a quick introduction of what you are about to hear, which is my initial reaction to the Chase Young and Montez Sweat trades, as well as my interviews with John Kime from ESPN and, of course, the John Kime Report and Trevor Sycamore from Pro Football Focus. Uh, Trevor, wanted to have on because the commanders just got a lot of draft capital so what does this draft look like a very early look here on Halloween of course time the best when it comes to covering everything commanders and all angles of it so those interviews plus my thoughts and then we'll get more from Logan on these trades later on in the week might have him on the radio show tomorrow so we'll publish that in this feed if we do uh, and of course, we have our full uh, tape review podcast coming tomorrow. So that's that. Uh, here's here's all the stuff on Take Command. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app and streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980, where we're reacting. To the breaking news of the NFL trade deadline, and nowhere has it been busier than here in D.C. Chase Young traded. Montez Sweat traded. Sweat to the Bears for a second rounder. Chase Young to the 49ers for a late third, the compensatory pick that the 49ers got for hiring Ron Carthon, the former Titans executive. Uh, into their front office. So that'll be a late one. Uh, The Bears, probably a very early second-round pick. And uh, we're going to take your calls on it as the show goes, 301-230-0980, because this is a Vibe Check Tuesday. 
And I'm sure the vibes are all over the place. But I want to start off with kind of a, a harder analysis, less of a vibe check, more of what you guys would expect from me on such a monumental day with this trade happening. Today marks the Josh Harris restart of the franchise. And according to the Athletics' Diana Rossini, ownership was involved in at least some form or fashion here. I'm sure as the reporting is flushed out, we'll hear a little bit more of just how involved, but there was certainly encouragement to make trades that were better for the long term of this team. And, you know, I don't want to use the words fortunately or unfortunately, because that depends on your perspective. But realistically, they thought that this was the football people, uh, the ownership to the extent that they're involved in this, thought that these deals would help move that along. I think they are correct. And that is not because Chase Young and Montez Sweat are not excellent individual football players. It's not because this team hasn't had success with both of them on the field. They did, you know, kind of figure it out late in 2020 defensively and obviously rode that and a horrendous rest of the NFC and specifically NFC East to a playoff spot uh, that seven and nine season under Rivera in his first year. But since then, they have not been very good with both of them on the field. And the reality of the situation is this. This team was supposed to be a defensive first, potentially top, you know, certainly top 10, potentially top five unit. And they are currently 28th out of 32 teams in defensive DVOA. They are 31st in yards against, and they are 31st in scoring. So no matter how good you think Chase Young or Montez Sweat is, clearly this team is not good enough with them to justify continuing forward along this path. They are the two that pay the price as having contracts coming up as the most or the easiest guys to deal. There's no dead cap money as as you would take on in a Payne or Allen deal. And so if you're going to ult and by the way, you're gonna have to pay them. And so by the way, like if you're going to make a move, these are the guys that are going to get moved based off this current timeline. I'd also argue they're the two best guys to get moved because they're third and fourth best players on this line. Um, I think the, the level Deron Payne has played at the last two years, he's been the best player on the team uh, or on the defensive line. I think John Allen has been very good. I think Sweat has been very good. I think Chase Young has looked phenomenal in stretches, although he's also looked fairly pedestrian. And realistically, as we let, let me hone in on Chase and then I'll talk more about Montez. Chase Young is uber talented. But he, his effort level in games is, at times, extremely poor. And if you're trying to set a culture for the future, you have to evaluate that and decide, is it important to you to have the talent or to have the guys that go out there and bust their butts? And you see a difference in how this defense plays with Casey Tuhill, James Smith-Williams, and F.A. Obata in that spot when there's just effort there. And sure, on individual plays, when Chase's talent wins, what more could you possibly want? And I've been singing Chase's praises much of the last few weeks because he has played really well in spots. But you start to watch the tape a little closer. You start to watch what happens when he doesn't immediately win. You watch him in the run game. And it's not NFL quality. It's not NFL effort. And he's young. He may still learn to give that. He may now be in a situation in San Francisco where he feels more pressure to do that because he'll have an example in Nick Bosa who doesn't really care about Chase Young, his feelings, or anything else. He's just going to go out and play hard. And 
a, a coaching staff in San Francisco that doesn't tolerate the things that get tolerated here. And so this is not a full indictment of Chase. This is in part an indictment of the organization. There's also a geography situation here. Like, it, how much of this is influenced by the fact that Chase is closer to home? And sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes that's a bad thing. And I don't know that it's been a great thing for Chase here. You hear all these different things and rumblings and rumors, um, and you don't know what to believe. But the, the stuff that we know is there's been miscommunication between him and the staff, him and the organization over injuries, over when he's going to play, over when he's not, how certain things are progressing. Like It has been a tumultuous relationship. And at some point, it's better for all parties to move on. And what I think what you see like league-wide here is the league doesn't know what to make of it. There is no world talent-wise for as great as Montez Sweat is that he should be getting a higher return when they are both in contract years than Chase Young. But the league tells you your value. And I don't think the, the commanders traded with the 49ers for funsies. They did it because that was the best offer on the table. Probably a lot of fourth-rounders. The, the Niners were like, well, shoot, we have this extra compensatory third. Let's do that. And the commander's looking around and just go, I guess that's the deal. And so it was. And so I understand the frustration today of not getting more for Chase. Even if you like the idea of trading Chase. For not getting more for him. Think you probably you'll blame Ron Rivera. It's organizational malpractice. How could another, like, let another GM do this? You can't. Like you don't have the the long term say over this. All you can do is deal with the right now. You could wait, but like there's no guarantee that uh, the the pick is going to get any better. I, I mean, I guess I, I think the argument for keeping Chase would have been this, and I don't think this is unreasonable. You let him play out the final nine games. You hope that it gets better. You franchise him, and then you trade him. But then what do you do with Cam Curl? Now your path forward is very simple. You have one guy you need to take care of in a big money way. That is Cam Curl. So if you don't get a deal done with him fairly early in the offseason, and when I say you, I mean the commanders, and I mean probably someone who's not Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew or Marty Herney or any of the people that are in those jobs right now. Realistically, if we're being adults about this, there's going to be new people making the decisions. So those people now have the bargaining power to go to Cam Curl and say, this is the deal. If you like it, you can sign. We can also negotiate a little bit if you want a little more here, a little less here, a little whatever, you know, whether that's years, bonus money, salary, however they want to structure it, they can have that conversation. And if not, you franchise him. And whether you then keep him or you trade Cam Curl as well is a decision that is to be made by the next people. What you don't have to worry about is who do we sign? Who do we franchise? Who do we risk letting get to the market? Who do we, you know, who do we just lose? And the thing is, for everyone that's like, oh, you're getting a compensatory pick anyway, not necessarily. This is a team with a ton of cap space. And if you lose, let's say, Montez Sweat, he goes signs a big deal somewhere else, you get a compensatory third rounder if you don't sign another big-time free agent. So if you go out and you sign a big-time free agent, you don't get anything. So you get what you can now, and you move forward with the understanding that a rebuild is on. To an extent, I think it can be a Philadelphia Eagles-style pretty fast rebuild. And I think the draft capital today is really important in that. Because you have now choices. And you have choices in a draft 
that is loaded. And it's loaded specifically with quarterbacks, which could be uh, a relevant piece of information for you directly if this season goes sideways for the final nine games of Sam Howell. And if you decide that is not the direction you want to go, okay. Or if you decide that there's, you know, Sam was was good, but, like, maybe we trade him, kind of like uh, the, the Cardinals did with, uh, what's his face, uh, Josh Rosen a couple years ago because he was good. Uh, or he was good enough as a rookie to show a little bit of promise, although he wasn't very good. Sam's been better than Josh Rosen was. But they got like a second or third for him a year later, which in Sam's case, like from a fifth, if you can get a third in return, sweet. But then can you use that to trade up and get the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth pick? But even if you don't and you're like, sweet, we actually have a guy in how we don't need to spend money at quarterback or a high draft pick. If there's four quarterbacks that are awesome in this draft, what does that do to the rest of the draft? It pushes everybody down. So let's say there's a Hall of Fame left tackle available that normally would go second. That guy might go sixth. And if you're the commanders and you're going to wind up picking 15th, and you can all of a sudden trade the 15th pick, the 35th pick that you just got from the Bears for Montez, and your own second up for the building block left tackle for the next decade, is that better? And that, by the way, that guy now costs you rookie salary for the next five years. Or maybe it's even an edge rusher. Maybe there's a, a literal direct replacement that costs you a fraction of what Montez Sweat will cost you. And maybe is 90% of the player as a rookie. Because he's literally the best pass rusher in the draft. And his, his upside is 120% of Montez Sweat. That's on the table for you now. It was not when I woke up this morning. And so I understand that people are thinking directly like, oh, this trade got this for that guy. That Eyes on your own paper. The commander's future got better today. And if your biggest gripe is that the commanders have stunk at second-round picks, one, I hear you, two, that's a silly gripe. Because as I just texted with a buddy of mine who's a big commander's fan, there is no strategy that is management-proof. Just like there is no play that is execution-proof. There is no team-building strategy that is management proof. If they don't hire the right coach and they don't hire the right GM, none of this matters, but it would have never mattered. Keeping Chase and Montez would not have mattered. What you've done now, if you're Josh Harris, and to whatever extent he put his thumb on the scales, is set your next regime up with a lot of capital to make big, bold moves or stay put and get a lot of good young players that should fit the culture of whatever the next coach wants to be. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. We're streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980, and we're taking your calls next at 301-230-0980 on the Ace Law Listener Line. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app, streaming live on YouTube as well at the Team 980. Five o'clock each day. If you're new to the show, we do a little segment we like to call Not My Beat. Today's top story from the perspective of someone who's there. You are looking live. This just in. Not My Beat. 
Today's guest, one of my great friends, the host of the John Keim Report, who which also has a live stream tonight on YouTube at 7.30. So make sure you check that out on the Empire Media page. Of course, his day job is to write for ESPN.com, where it has been a busy day for, well, you probably guessed it based off the podcast tease, it is the John Keim Report. Ladies and gentlemen, John Keim. Cakes, how are you? What up, Craig? How are you? I'm good, man. I am. Uh, I'm excited to have you on. What a day to have you. Um, we don't get to do this often, and there is plenty to talk about. Um, let's just go chronologically here. Um, Sweat, they trade to Chicago for a second-round pick, which I think most people think, uh, barring something weird happening with the Bears, is going to be a very good second-round pick. When did you kind of get the feeling like, oh, wow, they could get a really valuable piece in return for Montez, and how hard was it for them to, even with that on the table, part with a guy that they really like? Yeah, I think, well, for that value, I think it's a lot easier. That is a high second-round pick. So I think, yes, you know, I think, listen, over the weekend, you you know, in late last week you'd hear third-round pick, and that was always going to – you're going to always have to at least start there. So that was always going to be a starting point. But the second-round pick is what, what you kept hearing that they wanted, and you really can't give up a guy like Montez Sweat for something lower than that, to, in my opinion, um, even more so than Chase for a, for a variety of reasons. And so I think, like, when you – the other yesterday you'd hear, and I know Ben Stanley reported it, and I heard it as well later, which was third-round pick, but a conditional one that would turn into a two if you extend them. And I'm, I, without knowing for sure, I, I think that may have been from Atlanta. So, you know, that, and I know like Atlanta was very much interested in him. He was interested in Atlanta very much. So that made sense. So if the Bears are going to get him, you got to go higher. And they did. And, you know, now the question is to, for them to make it work, to keep him around, you're going to, you may have to tag him because I don't know, you know, is that a situation you want to resign? I mean, I guess we'll find out. But and if anybody pays you, then it, it works. But I think, you know, that's what that's on the Bears end. But from this end, a high second round pick now gives you what that's now, you know, three picks, top 50. And that's that's pretty good. No doubt. And um, that's in a loaded draft. And I'm excited. Actually, uh, bottom of the hour, we're going to have Trevor Sycamore from PFF, who does draft stuff year round. Talk about like what that means in this particular draft where they're going to need a lot of different pieces. The O-line hopefully finally gets addressed. We'll see about quarterback, all that kind of stuff. Um, but then then Chase comes along the, the, the deal later. A lot of people thought, you know, maybe they'd be done after Montez. Nope, they trade both. And the, the value, I think, is the biggest question here, John. Like, what was the market for Chase Young, and why does it seem, based off his youth, his potential, to be so depressed? The knee. It's simple. It's the yeah. knee. And, you know, there were, there were definitely concerns. Like, I talked to multiple people throughout the process, and especially over the last 24 hours, who all said the same thing. Question, I, I don't want to say whether it was questions or concerns about the medical. And so that's going to depress the market. There was interest in them because a lot of teams were calling in. And this wasn't a recent thing. Like teams have been calling on these guys for a couple months. This is not new. So this is not something that starts to heat up because like, oh, my God, the trade deadline's near. Let's start calling. This is, these have been ongoing discussions for a couple months. So they knew that teams would be interested in it. But, again, the medical was always something. And, you, again, I hear it from other teams, other people involved. Would that be a hindrance? And then you look at a team like the Niners, well, it makes sense. They had multiple third-round picks. 
And if he doesn't stay there, they could get it back as a comp pick. But it's not a huge loss for them to give up that capital. So they made sense. So the, the, I knew that I knew that they were interested. Um, you heard the Bears um, at one point, and that's why I was surprised that Montez went to the Bears and not Young. But um, I think, like you know, again, the Niners made sense because of their extra third round picks. But that definitely that definitely hurt his market. And I think the other part is then it's it's the durability. But then it's also the um, the lack of a, a contract for next year. So that all plays into it, and that's why. Because it's you know clearly a guy has a lot of talent, and in a, in a one for one world he's going to get more. But that's not how it operates here. Right, John. Other teams got more. Yeah, uh, yeah. John Kime, ESPN is with us. So like. Uh, John, this kind of gets me to the the Brian Windhorse. I know you're familiar with this meme uh, as an NBA guy yourself. Like the Brian Windhorse, like why would they do that kind of thing right. here, right? Because if if that is the case, right, the medical, well, then you've got nine games to see how he plays. You hope he plays well. And even if you tag and trade him in the offseason, it seems like you could get more. But they did it now. Why right. now? Like, it, it, and to me, like the most plausible thing, and I don't know all the details, but I can read some tea leaves. Is they might think this is an addition by subtraction situation. And you look at, I mean, look, I watch the tape. You, know, you watch the tape. Uh, I work with a guy who watches more tape than anybody in Logan. We see the effort level on some of these plays from Chase. We also heard his comments a couple weeks ago where he's like, I have to be a better leader in this. And you're like, well, what are you doing? What are you waiting for? And so, like, is there, I, I don't know, like, what you know here and what you can say, but, like, is there an addition by subtraction element that answers the why now question? Listen, I, think you, I mean, anybody who wants to read between the lines can read that right now. So, you know, like, you, you're not doing it if you think he can still – if he's going to really help you win, this is a group that, that has to win. But they also were tasked with making smart football moves. And they don't, you know, he clearly wasn't going to come back here because why would you take a third rounder for him now? So, yeah, you can all, anyway, can read between the lines on this one. This isn't, this isn't a fire sale. This wasn't a demand from the owner that you got to do this. This is a team that thinks that they can still compete um, even after trading two of their former first-round picks. And, you know, it's funny, Craig, because – and we'll see if they're right. Like, here's the other like, – Chase Young is going to a good spot. I mean, the guy can still rush the passer. Like, there's – there are things that he, – he's still a freakish talent, you know. Um, but I also wonder, Craig, too, and you're a basketball guy. Sometimes I look, at the, I look at this defensive line, and I thought it was telling what Ron Rivera said Monday when we asked him about the line and, he's, you know, just have, have they met expectations. The answer is like, you know, they've just been inconsistent. So they've been inconsistent for a couple years with these four first-round picks together. It wasn't going to change. So why invest in that? And, right. and if you think it can be improved. So, but I go back to the basketball analogy, which is you have four guys who are alpha male, 20 point, alpha male scores. And does that always work? I think that's tough. So I think, you know, I think you can get – I think what you want – I think what they're going to do with this setup is you have two – High-priced, very, very good defensive tackles who have made the Pro Bowl, deservedly. And now you're going to you'll put in ends who, the whole do your job mantra. I think you know that'll become a bigger thing. But you know that you 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 rush discipline, right? All that stuff. And and here's the other thing: like Chase Young would get criticized a lot for, or at least pegged for, you know, oh he's freelancing. 
all those guys were doing that after a while, you know, and yeah. so it wasn't just him. So it's unfair just to say it was him. However, you know, you can look at, and again, you can read between the lines whatever you want in this one and probably be accurate. But I do, I think that um, if they really wanted to keep him and make it work, they would have found a way. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. John Keim, ESPN, is with us. You mentioned that this is not like a demand from ownership. What were the nature of the conversations, as far as you know? Uh, our friend and your former ESPN colleague now with The Athletic, Diana Rossini, uh, reported that like Josh Harris did have some input here in terms of at least some direction. Uh, what color can you provide to, to kind well, of detail that out? Yeah, I mean, I've been talking about that. That's not – he's the owner, for God's sake. Of course right. he does. Right. People I mean, seem to forget you know, that. Jesus, he, the guy paid $6 billion. Of course he's involved. <laughs> And, like, this is something I've been talking about. Like, you know, that's just – yes. Anyways, no comment. But it, it's it, – it's, it's, um, of course he's involved. Like, it was – he was always going – the whole thing with Harris, and I've talked about a lot about this a lot, mentioned it in story or whatever, that the whole – you know, with him, his, his, his MO has been bring me information. Get information. Bring it to me. Let's make a good decision. That's how that's how his other organizations work, and it's how he's working here in this in this case. So th- this is this. I think the you know the funny thing is, Craig. Like a lot of people were like, well, how could Ron Rivera be making this decision? He might get fired. Blah blah blah, which is all true and it's all fair. But if you if you're this coaching staff, the way you can save your job is to a make a good football decision with his moves and then B wins. If you don't, if you don't make the good football decision, but win games, I think you're gone. <laughs> right. Right. Because like this guy's going to want people who make good football decisions. And, and that's how they're going to view this. And it, cause it does, you know, the, it's, I don't think it's a, two years ago when they didn't have these guys, they were four and two. They didn't have sweat young for six games. They were four and two. So it's not like, and they play their defensive numbers were dramatically better for whatever reason. But the point is, they won without them. They played well without them. Whether it was because they weren't there, that you can debate that. But the numbers are what they are. So they don't have to feel like they're punting on their season. But from a staff standpoint, you know, this is the, this is the right move. Now, go win. And if you don't, somebody else will benefit from all these picks. How do you think their chances change of that? Like, they got rid of two players uh, that are exceptional individual talents. We just yes, talked about the, the the details of what's happened when they've been out in the past. Uh, there's no argument to be made that like this was working. The current setup. They're 28. I've said these stats a million times today. They're 28th in defensive DVOA. They're 31st in points. They're 31st in yards. They're not good on that side of the ball. No. So when you when you talk about how it functionally works now, like. What, and, you know, hey, now the mission is to go win. I guess the question really is, like, what chances do you give them of that actually working out in their favor? <laughs> or is this a fundamentally flawed football team that has nine games until the, the, the plane lands on the runway that it seems like is in sight? 
listen, you know, to think that this is going to be like, okay, these guys are gone. They're going to play better. I just, I'm not going to go there because I can't. I know what they did in the past. The coverage has been bad all year, you know. And now, first of all, like A.J. Brown is tremendous. So, like, coverage all year, they've given up big play after big play after big play. And it's not just because, oh, these guys are freelancing up front. And, again, it wasn't just one or two of them, right? It was after a while it just felt like, you know, like, hey, this guy's doing this. I'm going to go do this. And not all the time, but certainly it felt like that at times. So like, it can't just be like, okay, these guys are gone. Now now the coverage is going to be better. Now they're not going to make, you know, not, now they're not going to blow a coverage assignment that leads to a Devontae Smith touchdown. You know what I mean? You still got to do all that. You still have to protect Sam Howell. But I think the feeling certainly is if, if Howell and the offense can play the way they did Sunday, it gives them a chance. And, you know, um, but again, they still have to play better on defense. I mean, it's just, I'd, be, I'd be silly to think that this is going to be the magic elixir to turn this defense around. They have to play better. And they have not shown that they, have, they can be consistent. But the weird thing with this defense has been that the last couple of years, it's like they're, they're really bad for one half and really good for another. But, you know, can they do that? I don't know. That makes uh, all of us, John. That's that. Yeah. That's that's why they play the games. Uh, says <laughs> as uh, an old man uh, in a, in a probably a paisley tie once said. All right, uh, John Kime, ESPN. You can read his work there. I definitely want to read his coverage on ESPN.com. But also, do not miss the John Kime report. Phenomenal podcast. It's kind of become a running joke, John, as you know, because you actually listen to Take a Man, which we very much appreciate. Yes. But you very, uh, very frequently get shout outs, uh, on that show because the podcast is great. The John Kime report. And that includes his live stream tonight, 730 on the Empire Media page on YouTube. Cakes, always appreciate it. Hopefully I'll, uh, I'll see you soon. And, uh, thanks for the time here on the radio. I appreciate it. And if you're joining me tonight for the live stream, bring some Twix bars and some Kit Kat. Thank you. Uh, there you go. By request. Make sure make sure get cakes what he wants. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, thanks. thanks, John. That is John Kime, everybody. A uh, quick reaction to that next. Maybe sneak in a call or two. And then Pro Football Focus's Trevor Sikama joins us coming up at 530. The commanders have all these picks now. What can they do with them? Trevor covers the draft year-round. He's phenomenal. That's coming up here on the Team 90. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. So the Commanders have traded Chase Young for a compensatory third-round pick. I think more importantly, at least for this discussion, they've traded Montez Sweat to Chicago for what will be a high second-round pick. And it is our pleasure to welcome back to the show my good friend Trevor Sykema, who uh, works for Pro Football Focus, does their draft show, is on the NFL draft year-round. And, uh, Trevor, the reason I wanted to have you on is because all of a sudden the Commanders have multiple top 50 picks. Like, who knows where their pick's going to wind up? They could package some of those to trade up. They could stay put. And, well, I want to know what they've just gotten themselves into. And who better to ask than you? So thanks for the time, man. No, I appreciate you having me on, man. This is, you know, I, I don't cover the NFL as closely as I do the NFL draft, but trade deadline time is always a lot of fun because the draft order will always change. Maybe not at the very top, but Washington now becomes one of those teams that when you head on over to PFS Mock Draft Simulator, they're one of the more fun teams to draft with because they've got five picks in the first three rounds now. So uh, it's a good time to talk draft, no doubt about it. 
So the thought going into this draft, obviously, like Caleb Williams at the top, Drake Mays right there. There's a bunch of other quarterbacks. As we're halfway through the college football season, what's the quarterback strength in this class and what effect might that have on the other elite players in it? No, this class is really exciting. And I'm trying not to just sound biased because I love the NFL draft in the process. But when you look at what would be the Three certainly pillar positions, premium positions, I should say. It's quarterback, it's pass rusher, and it's offensive tackle. All three of those are really strong. And, and then you probably throw in lockdown corner there as well. And then I know a lot of people look to wide receiver is one of those premium positions, though it's been drafted as such over the last couple of years. Both of those are strong as well. So you have a really, really alluring draft class. It's a good year to have a lot of these picks. And so I did not think that Washington would be this all in on this upcoming draft. Um, Certainly with, it feels like a make or break year for that coaching staff. I I didn't think that they would be this big of sellers at the deadline, but man, for them to get a very early second round pick now holding two and to get another third round pick now holding two third round picks as well, that bodes well for them to really have a nice slingshot into what we think is going to be this, next wave or new winning window kind of coming up as they rebuild a little bit here. So the offensive tackle spot is definitely one where like Charles Leno has been pretty good for them for a couple of years now. But if you want to go draft a young stud there, no one's going to complain. Wiley has been a bit of an adventure at right tackle. He's been more fine than people realize, but like he's still Andrew Wiley. Um, And so those, those positions in particular, the tackle spots, if that is where they want to go high in this draft, who are some of the names that, that folks should be watching over the next couple of weeks of college football to see what they look like? Yeah, certainly they're holding the number 11 overall pick. And you think with as much as they were selling their pass rush uh, this week, they're probably going to end up in the top 10 when it's all said and done. And I think they'll have a chance to pick one of the big three at the top that I have right now is Olu Fashanu from Penn State. He's their left tackle. Joe Alt, the left tackle from Notre Dame. And then Talisa Fuaga. Uh, Not a lot of people know him. He plays out at Oregon State. He is their right tackle there. But I think all three of those guys are future NFL pros. You get a little bit further than that. Guys like J.C. Latham, the right tackle from Alabama. Amarius Mims hasn't played a ton, but the right tackle for Georgia, a lot like Broderick Jones, what we saw last year from Georgia, where not a ton of experience with Jones, but the movement skills, the potential, the size, it's all there. It's the same thing for Amarius Mims. And so no matter where they are picking, in the first round, they're going to have an opportunity to select one of these guys. And it just feels like a lot of people, when I've talked to those who have been doing mock drafts for Washington and fans of the commanders as well, that seems to be where they go. So whether it's a right tackle or a left tackle, they're going to have the opportunity to pick any of those players. Of the three at the top that I think would probably go in the top 10, Fashanu is just, man, he's so good at pass protection. And he's got to, he's got to get stronger. There's no doubt about it. I think the Ohio State tape – um, a couple of weeks ago, you shed some light on the fact that he, he's got to get a little bit bigger. He's got to get some more strength. He's got to be able to anchor better because Ohio State had a clear game plan to just go right through his chest. And that's about as good as anybody's gotten for Shano throughout the last two years of him starting. Joe Walt, he's just been such a steady left tackle from Notre Dame, getting better every single year. He's six foot eight. He's massive, great, solid prospect to get. And until he's a Fuaga, man, I think that this guy's got some of the meanest streak that you could see in an offensive tackle. When he is blocking you in the run game, he is not just trying to get in front of you. He's trying to bury you to the sideline, to the ground, make sure you're not getting back in the play. And then he takes a lot of that, um, that mentality towards pass blocking as well. So 
it's a good year to need an offensive tackle. So if that's where Washington wants to go, there won't be any shortages of guys in the first round or I would even say in the second round as well. Trevor Sikama, Pro Football Focus, with us here on the Hoffman Show. And suddenly, Trevor, they also need pass rushers. Amazing how that works uh, with these two trades today. And before we get to some of the names in this draft, I just had this thought in the last segment responding to a caller. And I'm curious how this plays into your analysis uh, and what you can tell us about this stat. But we've heard a lot about sack to pressure or pressure to sack ratio, sack to pressure ratio, however you want to ratio it with Sam Howell on the quarterback side of things. But how does that kind of factor into a defensive end evaluation where like, okay, Chase Young this year has got a lot of pressures, but they haven't necessarily turned into sacks at the same rate as some other elite guys have. So how does that stat like tend to play into defensive end evaluation? Yeah, I think that pressures to me are the more telling stat than sacks are, but there's no doubt about it that the guys who are able to finish the play and get that sack statistic I think that's a appropriate bonus to say, like, hey, not only is this guy getting a lot of pressures, but he's finishing in the backfield as well. I think another stat that we have over pro football focus is a pass rush win percentage that, that we're able to take a look at. And that really individualizes the performance of the pass rushers themselves to say, hey, how often are they beating the offensive tackle in front of them? And, and you know, it, it it's not like, okay, if the play goes on for three or four seconds and then he beats the offensive tackle, like that counts as a, as, as, as a win. No, no, no. It, it's really – do you win off of your first move? Can you get into the backfield? Are you creating that kind of disruption? That's what really logs those stats and gets those numbers up high. Chase Young is – he has a much higher number in the pass rush win percentage category than he has his entire NFL career. He's up near 20%, and I think the best in the NFL are somewhere around 23 24%. That's normally, you know, the Miles Garrett's, the Max Crosby's, the TJ Watts. Those guys are somewhere around 23-24, I think, when a season is all said and done. So – those are a lot of better ways to evaluate pass rushers because I would even say that, okay, if you take only one of them, certainly I would say that win percentage is probably the strongest, then it's pressures, then it's sacks, but you don't really get the whole story with how well a guy is playing unless you use all three. And I think that's, that's the part that gets lost in a lot of people when they make arguments for, especially pass rushers. They, a lot of people like to cherry pick certain stats and, you got to paint the whole picture for these guys. And so that's how I would say we go about evaluating that. Right. And then obviously there's the whole run game side of it as well, uh, which is why like, a guy like Sweat is tremendous and Chase this year was leaving more to be desired. All right. So when we look at the edge rushers for Washington, it's hard to know what kind of player they're going to want because we assume there's going to be a new staff. We don't know if they're looking at three, four players, like three, four edges, four, three uh, edges. Are these guys they want to set like a good hard edge in the run game versus elite pass rushers? But what, what kind of crop are we looking at of edge players in this upcoming draft? A lot of guys to choose from, I think, probably within the first two rounds of the draft. Now, obviously, if you're a good pass rusher, you're going to get picked within the first two rounds. And so when you hit on gems that are third round and beyond, I mean, that's just a tip to your scouting, your scouting department there. But, look, I think that right now, good case for five or six edge players to all go in the first round this year. I think the guys like – Laatu Latu from UCLA, who is already just such a technician with his pass rush profile. I think the same can be said about JT Tui Maloa from Ohio State. These guys um, wise beyond their years about how you get past these offensive tackles, how you attack the half man, what to do with your hands, not only initial pass rush moves, but also counters as well. You've got players who are 
really twitched up athletes. I think of Dallas Turner from Alabama, Chop Robinson from Penn State, Braylon Trice from Washington, these guys who are very explosive off the first step. They can win with speed, but, man, guys like Robinson and Trice, they can win with power too. That speed-to-power combination where they're just going straight at your chest relentlessly, those dudes are tough to block, and we've seen that over the last couple of years in college football. Another name I'll throw out, Jared Verse from Florida State. I don't think any player in the country has increased their draft stock more than he has over the last two years. He was at FCS. He was at Albany's football program before transferring to Florida State and showing that uh, he not only belonged in the FBS, he was one of the best in the nation at it. So he's another guy who I think has that power-speed combination. So there are plenty of different players of guys who come in all different shapes and sizes. But I think, again, you know, you'll have the opportunity to, whether it's in the first round or even at that top of the second round now that they have that selection, you'll have your chance to pick an edge rusher that uh, that could be a starter for you. No doubt. And that's one of the fascinating things to me is like, if if the draft is this deep, you probably wind up taking two. But if there's a guy you love, they now have the ammunition to move up, uh, which is going to be fun. And the obviously the position you most likely move up for is quarterback. They're still very much in the Sam Howell evaluation category. And uh, I, I think probably if you had to lean one way or another right now, you like what you see from Sam, you try to move forward with him because contractually it just makes so much sense. But if the next nine games go sideways and they are in the quarterback market. How has that class developed after being so hyped before the season? Oh, no, I think that it's still fantastic. Look, I know that Caleb Williams has struggled lately for the first time in his college career. And a lot of people are freaking out about that. But the things that Williams is able to do, um, it's rare. And that's stuff that you still covet. I think Drake May is fantastic. Uh, I was pretty in on Bo Nix before the season started. He had a fantastic year last year, and I think that he is having just as good of a year this season. So I think he's a first-round quarterback as well. You've got guys like J.J. McCarthy and Shadur Sanders who have improved a lot, I think, over this season who could be first-round picks. And then an interesting one's Michael Penix Jr. from Washington. He's got some insane numbers. He, I don't know I, I don't know if he's the forerunner for the Heisman or if he's in that top three, but I know he's close to the very top just because of what he's been able to do with that team. He's a gunslinger, man. If you want a guy who could push the ball down the field vertically, give his receivers a chance to go get the ball, and as we've seen with Washington's offense, have the chance to put up a lot of points, I think he can be your guy. I think a big wild card for me is probably Jaden Daniels from LSU. Last year, he really focused on keeping the turnover-worthy plays down, and he absolutely did. This year, he's getting a little bit more aggressive. He's keeping that ratio of turnover-worthy plays down, not as low as it was last year, but the big-time throws and the average depth of targets a lot further up. So he has just improved every single season, uh, whether he was at Arizona State or whether he's now at LSU. And I think that he is somebody who gives you that dual threat ability as a rusher as well. So, man, those seven quarterbacks right there, I think those are all guys who could be those first-rounders wherever you're picking. That's a huge number, and that is definitely going to majorly impact the shape of the draft. Uh so many months from now, but also so few months from now. Nobody knows that better than Trevor Sikama, uh, who hosts the draft coverage, their lead draft insider at Pro Football Focus. Trevor, always appreciate your time here on the radio. Great stuff as always, my friend, and talk to you soon. Yeah, of course, my friend, anytime. That's Trevor Sikama, everybody. Uh, PFF, they've got YouTube shows. They've got podcasts. Trevor does uh, so much on all of them. And as you hear, he's great. He's so on top of his stuff and very excited to, to have him on the show today because, like, look, the commanders aren't giving up on this season. They're not tanking. They're not punting. They think that, and based off of how they've played defensively this year, makes sense. Like 
They think they can play at least as badly as they have, if not better, without Young and Sweat. But realistically, they have set themselves up really well in what, as you just heard from Trevor, is a monster draft, assuming things hold and these prospects turn out to be what we think they are right now. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. 6 o'clock coming up. We get back to the on-the-field product with Linnell. It is overreaction Tuesday time. Uh, we actually, I'll, I'll be totally transparent with you. We taped that earlier today, so there's a little bit of Montez reaction, uh, but that was before the chase uh, trade, so we have a little bit of thoughts from Linnell and Montez. Uh, if you want his chase reaction, he's on overtime tonight over on 106.7 The Fan. But we'll uh, kind of wrap up some of our thoughts on the trade before we get back to the current version of the Commanders at 6. Next is the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app.